Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. I'm with us today is, well, let's see, I want to get it all right. Former, uh, uh, he was former chief of police in Fairfax during the uh, infamous sniper incident. Later went on to be the um, chief of police in Montgomery County, uh, Maryland, and was uh, had people on the ground during the Freddie Gray riots in Baltimore. And now, uh, after a year of the good life, retiring, is now the chief of police at the Capitol, taking over the Capitol Police after the insurrection on January 6th. Welcome back to the program, Tom Manger. Tom, thanks for being here. Um, uh, happy to be here. And uh, we're going to take, well, as always, before we uh, get started, we take the short break to pay the bills. So <laughs> sit tight and we'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. I can't even say my own name today, Tom. So <laughs> with us is uh, new Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger. And Tom, I guess the question to ask you, I won't ask you what you would do differently if you were in charge on January 6th, but if faced with a similar situation today, what would you do if you faced that type of insurrection? You know, when, when um, I was uh, uh, under consideration for this position and was talking to uh, the folks, uh, the Sergeant at Arms for both the House and the Senate and, and uh, you know, the architect of the Capitol who, who make up the police board with, with, the, police, with the Capitol Police Chief, um, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, I, I know that um, the acting chief, uh, Chief Pittman, had, had, uh, was, was certainly not just waiting for, you know, uh, a decision to be made about who the new chief was going to be. I knew that she was doing some things, looking at the inspector general's reports, general honorary's reports, and she was doing some things. And so I asked them, I said, if, if we were to have the, uh, that's a, a riot like that or protest a riot like that today, would we be better? Would would we be ready for it? Would we be better prepared? And um, they 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 all said yes. We would be better prepared. Now they uh, and, and they said not that we are um, that we've done everything that we want to do to to be better prepared, but we would be better prepared today than we were on January sixth. So I was encouraged by that. And just in my first week on the job. Um, I would say uh, I would make the same assessment. I think we're better prepared, but there's still uh, a ways to go before we get to a point where I think we, we um, have everything in place that we want to have in place. What went wrong from your perspective now that you're sitting in that seat? You know, um, I, I, of course, I, I, I wasn't there on right. January 6th. I mean, I, like, like so many people, I was watching it on TV and I was absolutely riveted um, watching it and um, was horrified was, is what I was, but I was there. I, I was as well. Went through a lot of emotions watching it, seeing these cops get assaulted this way. Um, it was very emotional uh, to watch this. Um, but I've read uh, all the reports, the inspector generals, general honorees, the Senate put out a report. I've read all of them. I've, read, I've, I've listed all of the recommend, uh, recommendations that came out of those reports. And, and if you add them all up, there's close to 100 of them uh, you know, at, out of, in these uh, reports. So when you ask what went wrong, I think you, you just look at the recommendations about um, training, look at the recommendations about staffing, about equipment, about policy, 
um, uh, all of those things, when you look at all of those recommendations, you can start connecting the dots about what went wrong. So any, my opinion about what went wrong, it would just be that, just an opinion because I wasn't there, but I can tell you that just based on the recommendations, uh, you know, clearly we, there was a, uh, the lack of communication with regard to the intelligence. Um, you know, I, I um, uh, was asked about, uh, you know, intelligence and, and uh, you know, that, you know, there was information that came out, uh, you know, about the possibility of, of uh, this insurrection um, and that information was available. Why wasn't it heated? And, you know, one of the things that, um, uh, you know, intelligence is not an exact science. Um, when you get information- well, you're dealing with Congress, I don't know if it's a science at all, but, yeah. but go ahead. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I said that, not you. <laughs> yeah, I won't get you in trouble. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you get intelligence about what, um, what chatter you're hearing on the dark web and, you know, just on right. social media in general, um, you have to make an assessment about, is this intelligence credible? Is it likely actually to occur? Is it, is it just talk? Um, and, you know, people, trained professionals have to make those assessments. And um, I, th I think that um, today we would uh, certainly um, do a better job at assessing that information. Um, and we would uh, do a better job at, I think, pr um, preparing for the possibility of uh, or, or for many possibilities in terms of what you know what might occur if we get the same kind of uh, same kind of threats. Well, the biggest threat, of course, is Giuliani saying, you know, I was there during that speech with the president, former president, and Rudolph and Rudy Giuliani, and Giuliani said, you know, it's trial by combat, and they marched down there. I, at that point in time, I don't think there was any doubt. I mean, the dark web stuff and everything else that prior to, but at that point in time, I guess. What I looked at, because I watched it happen in real time, I felt like the communication was where there was a big, it, it seemed like some members of your staff, your, your current staff were aware and prepared and some weren't. And it just looked like it was not, it didn't look like the effort to repulse them or to defend the Capitol was well coordinated. That's just from where I sat. Yeah, you know, there's, look, there were uh, certainly one of the recommendations that came out was um, to have uh, more folks trained uh, in the civil disturbance unit, but you can train all the cops you want. If you don't give them the equipment that they need, that's, that's uh, a problem. And yeah. so there was a shortage of equipment. Um, and, and so, you know, these are, these are things that in my view are, are just real quick fix. Well, quick fixes in terms of when we get the equipment, we can issue it, get, do the training. Um, those are things that I think everybody uh, universally agreed needed to be done. And again, that, that process has started. And so um, just, just, you know, when you talk about the, the, what the tactics you saw that day, um, they can be improved um, very quickly if you make sure that everybody has the training and everybody has the equipment um, to, to better protect the Capitol. And I don't say this, I, it, this isn't, you know, like a, in a fishbowl or, or, you know, just pie in the sky stuff. I, I have covered several riots and one I'll, re, um, you know, refer to is the Freddie Gray riots in Baltimore. Um, we saw that the Baltimore police weren't as well prepared as those who came in to help. And those were your people. And I, I said this, you know, before we started, but I do remember being at those riots in Baltimore and those who had taken place in, or taken um, had been involved in some of the civil disturbance, many of them protesters, some of them rioters, some of them looters, but the homeowners in that area, I had never been to a riot where people were happy to see police. And it was your folks that were well-trained and well-prepared. And I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt. I mean, that, that you've heard it before, but that type of training, that's what I didn't see at, in, on, in the insurrection. I think they needed, you know, the help and didn't have it. So um, the, um, when, when Chuck Ramsey came in uh, and took over the, the Metropolitan Police Department back in 1998, I had just uh, been appointed as the acting chief in Fairfax County. And uh, Ramsey uh, had this uh, brand new idea that when he, we had 
big protests, whether it was, uh, or, or big events uh, of any kind, you know, a, um, uh, an inauguration, there were World Bank protests, um, yep. just, just all those big events where you had 20 and 30,000 people showing up, marching. Um, he uh, reached out to the large departments around the Beltway and said, hey, can you all uh, help, you know, help give us some additional staffing? And in Fairfax, you know, we had just started the civil disturbance unit and, and we were able to give about 150 cops. And this was great training. I mean, we, we had certainly been tested like with CIA demonstrations in Fairfax. Uh, Montgomery County had had a few, you know, but none of them were as big as the ones that were happening downtown. And so this, you know, when, when you, you know, two or three times a year, when you're deploying your folks to a, a, a regional effort, you, you get pretty good at handling these big events. And so when Baltimore requested our help, um, it was a no brainer to, uh, you know, to send our folks up there. But the, the advantage that we had is our folks were well-trained. They, all of them had equipment. Um, you know, we had experience, um, you know, in situations like that, you know, folks think about old sleepy Montgomery County. I mean, the fact of the matter is with, you know, this unit had, had been really tested and had a great deal of experience. In, with all the regional efforts. And, and it wasn't just Montgomery County, Baltimore, Prince George's County. I mean, they, they too, well, you know, experienced, well-equipped, well-trained. Um, and and uh, I know that uh, when uh, Kevin Davis was the commissioner up in Baltimore at the time, he thanked us and said, look, he says, you know, um, our guys certainly, you know, had, had the courage to do what we needed to do here, but we didn't have the equipment and we didn't have the training that you all had. So uh, Baltimore has, in fact, fixed that as well. They've, they've gotten better trained and equipped to handle those things uh, in the interim. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, just this is, this is all about um, preparing for these things, having folks uh, trained and equipped to, uh, to be able to handle these kind of events. Now, the, the other part of this equation and the one that everyone uh, talks about right and left um, is the political part of it. Now, when you were in Montgomery County, you uh, dealt with, I guess, community policing. It was, it went over very well. How do you community police Congress? You're going to get your hands full there, pal. <laughs> well, you know, but, but really, uh, Brian, it, it's not that, it's the same concepts. Look, I had, uh, you, you deal with, uh, you, you're serving a community. You're listening to your community about what kind of service they want. Uh, you're getting feedback about how they feel about the job that you're doing. I mean, this is all part of community policing. You know, communicating with your constituents. Well, in at the at the um, Capitol, my constituents are the members of Congress and their staffs. I mean, you know, that's ten the tens of thousands yes. of people who who work there. And so, and just wait wait till they open it back up to the public. You know, then you get another you know ten or twenty thousand uh, people visitors there. These are all my constituents. So. When I think about how we can best serve uh, uh, the folks, you know, that, that are in our community, um, the, the, many of the, um, uh, the concepts are, are, are the same. I mean, you just want to deliver the best service, but it's all about listening to your community, getting their feedback, hearing how, you know, what, what they want, how they would, you know, uh, what's, what's concerning to them, what's important to them. Those are all things that a police chief has to do you know, just constantly, just ongoing. You can't just ask them once. I mean, you know, you got to ask them many times and, and keep asking. So, I, you know, look, I, I've been, even, even the members of Congress have said, you know, hey, you got a tough job. You got, you got 535 bosses. Um, and, and I get that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, I think that if we're delivering the right service and, and we will listen to everybody, uh, doesn't matter what party? I mean, look, I'm I'm politically agnostic. I mean, I just I can't. Yeah. I have to be apolitical, and um, uh, so well, that's imperative coming into this position. I should think because the biggest fear is that the police chief would be uh, would kowtow to one party or the other or one political stream or another by staying agnostic. That's the only way to stay true to the job. Yes. Yes. Um, and and I have met just in my first week. I've met with the leaders of of uh, the committees. Who oversee and have uh, you know oversight over the U.S. Capitol Police, and so I've met with you know both uh, the, the Democratic leaders and the Republican leaders, and I, I got to say they're all very helpful and and have, what they've said to me is encouraged me that they're they're there to help and you know just just that all they want is for me to communicate with them 
and um, and I can do that. I, and that's where you know having the experience I've had as a police chief. Look, I you know it was always a, a nine or ten member you know council that I was dealing with. <laughs> right. But uh, but still, again, the concepts are the same. I know what the elected officials would want to know. They don't want to be surprised by things. They want to be you know have a chance to give you their thoughts on things. And you know, there's a fine line between telling somebody how to do their job and you know, and and you know, having discussions when uh, you know about things. And I've I've walked that fine line for 21 years, so I'm I'm hopeful that I can continue to do it even in this environment. Well, one of the um, first things you've had to face this week, I read in the Hill, is uh, arresting people who refuse who are maskless, and this will be visitors, I suppose, and others. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, it that's not going to be congressional members correct it's just staff and visitors well it's it's not going to be any but we're not arresting anybody for not wearing a mask i mean if something look they, they've got a mandate there uh, on the house side um i don't know that it's on the senate side yet no it's on the house you're correct yeah so there's a mandate um that uh everyone who's inside has to wear a mask so i immediately uh, you know, put a directive out to my cops. And I, I actually told them everybody that's working in the Capitol, uh, no matter if it's House or Senate side, I want, to, want them wearing a mask. And it was, this is not a political decision. This was just, this is a health decision. You know, as it, you know, I, I really am concerned that, you know, we're, we're going to have a, another surge here. We've had a couple of cops, you know, test positive. Um, so it's, it's more for everybody's health and safety. But, um, it, you know, I, the direction we've given uh, our officers is, is uh, pretty simple. You, you ask someone, you know, if they're not wearing a mask, you ask them to please put on a mask. And if they refuse to, then you, they, you tell them they got to leave. And so that's, that's the way it's going to be. I mean, we're, we're not going to arrest anybody for, for not wearing a mask. But, um, you know, if people refuse to leave, then that's another conversation that we'll have to have. Yeah, that, that, I don't, I don't, racetrack trainer is more than an elliptical. Sorry about that. Go ahead. That's right. But Brian, I do, I do want to say that, um, you know, this is not the first time that there's been this uh, mask mandate. We've had this before yes. and there, there were zero arrests. So, and I anticipate zero arrests going forward. Well, yeah, that's, uh, of course, I, that's why I asked because I, I read the headline and read the story and it made it sound like you might arrest people, but I don't remember there being arrests. I remember people being asked and then people left if they didn't right. want to wear one so that's the way it would boil down now the question is how are you gonna and i guess this is the nuance everything is politicized in dc these days even like you said wearing a mask it's not politics it's it's health it's science for those who try to continue to make it a political statement how are you going to deal with that as as the chief you know um it's funny there, there um uh, people and reporters have asked me questions um, and they'll, they'll, it'll have like a, a sort of a, a hint of, of, you know, a political sort of uh, uh, question. And I'm just, you know, I just am not getting sucked into those kinds of questions. I mean, you know, I, I know I got to stay apolitical and um, I, I have to serve everybody there equally. And um, you realize there are those people who won't be apolitical. I oh, guess absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. I've already, I've already had, you know, a little bit of that, you know, in some of my conversations with folks. But it's okay, you know. I, it's, I, there was a, um, a very opinionated um, uh, person who, who on one of the networks, who has a, an, a, uh, a show every night of the week, and somebody asked me, you know, this person criticized one of your officers that testified at the, at the uh, hearing, and. You know, what do you say to that? And I said, and I, I said, look, I said, he's entitled to his opinion. But here's what I think about what my officers did when they testified. So, I, I, you know, it's look, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And, and that's fine. But, you know, I'm It'd be nice job, if they were informed opinions, but I, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I'm you know, my job is to uh, is to run the police department and make sure everybody gets the service that they need. And, and that's where my focus is. It's not on politics. What you mentioned about the testimony on um that that brings up the other issue I was going to touch in, uh, on in this uh, segment, and that is, you watch those four police officers. One of them I knew fairly know fairly well. Um, what did you think of that when you saw that? It's very emotional testimony. First of all, I was, I was very proud of all four of them. Um, they uh, and and this is you know what uh, the message I've tried to deliver to my officers uh, since I since day one 
And that is that, um, uh, you know, the people will talk about, they'll talk about different, oh, you know, there were failures here, failures here, lots of, lots of finger pointing, lots of blame. And that's, you know, everybody, again, is entitled to their opinion. But one thing that and I can tell you 100% for sure did not fail. And that was the courage and, and dedication of, of those men and women that were on that line fighting um, to, to protect the Capitol. And I remind them, I said, uh, look, you know, it, it, it was a horrific scene. Um, and, and, you know, there were lots of cops who were hurt and bad things happened, but you prevailed. There was not one member of Congress that was harmed and the legislative process um, was completed. And, uh, and, and so um, I remind them that in fact, they did prevail. And, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. But when these four uh, men testified, um, I actually uh, spoke with my two officers, the two from the Capitol Police. I'd spoken with each of them uh, before, uh, the, the day before, and um, to, I, I let them know uh, how important I thought it was that their voice was heard. Um, you know, so often when, when the, the, um, the, the Congress will have hearings on, you know, different things that are important to the country, and, uh, you know, there's not always time for the, or there's not always the opportunity for a police officer to come in and let their voice be heard. And so I thought it was important and I told him how proud I was of him. And I, and I told him, I said, look, you know, it's important that people hear what you're about your experience and that your voice be heard. So I was very proud of him. It was very emotional. I watched it was, I mean, three and a half hour hearing. That's a yep. long hearing. And, um, uh, but clearly, um, the, uh, oh, Tom, I know some members of Congress that can filibuster for that long and not even take a breath. But right. Well, <laughs> but they but, you know, it was. Um, but you, thought, you're right. It was. Yeah, for them. I, I thought it was good. I mean, I and I was proud of them and, and I was glad that uh, all four, even the MP, the MPD officers were terrific. And uh, and I was very proud of my officers. One of the things coming out of it was the speculation that the um, the Capitol may not be as open in the future to the general public. Um, and I think that was even mentioned by one of the officers. What's your thoughts on that? So, you know, that's a, that's a group decision. And, um, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be responsible for that, for that decision. I mean, I, I, I think your that personal think, feelings on it. Yeah. Well, but, but my, you know, my, uh, as part of the Capitol police board, uh, I will be able to give my opinion about, um, how we do it, how we can do it safely. But I think everyone, everyone, including me, um, believes that we need to open the, the capital back up when it's, when it's safe and when we've got everything in place that we need um, so that we can keep it safe. But uh, it is, it, you know, as people say, it is the people's house. And um, I think everyone uh, from the police to the members of Congress and, and everybody else wants, uh, wants that, uh, the capital be, to be open again to the public. Um, and hopefully uh, we'll get to a point where we can do that. Sounds good. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey there, JATQ listeners. We deeply appreciate your listenership and the audience we've been able to cultivate while producing this podcast. Thanks to all of your support, we've been able to ramp things up and create even more content for you to enjoy. Through our Patreon page, there are lots of new and exciting things to check out. Due to the way Patreon is set up, it's entirely up to you, the listener, to decide what that content is worth. The podcast episodes will always be free, but if you want to gain access to our weekly newsletter, ad-free episodes, exclusive merch, and much, much more, you'll want to head over to patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon.com slash podcast. Thanks. Have a great day. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. And with us is new police chief, Tommy. Well, he's not, well, he is a new police chief at the Capitol, but he's, he's held the post before. And, and Tom, I guess I walk us through, you've been there, what, a week? Yes. Um, yes. What's your first week? What's a, what's an average day like for you? How does it start? And when does it end? You, you told me it's like 14 hour days. Yes. I've, I've been um, getting to work between seven and seven 30 uh, in the morning. And um, I, I I think there was one day that I got home before 10 o'clock at night and, and I think it was barely before 10 o'clock, but, 
Um, it's just there's so much there's so much that uh, I want to do. I've um, you know tried to hit a couple of roll calls and and um, and then um, I, I went once the the uh, people go home for the day and things quiet down. Um, I I go out I walk around and uh, meet officers on their posts both inside and outside and just talk to them and. Um, and I end up spending three or four hours doing that, just you know, talking to cops and, and walking around and, and uh, meeting with them. And uh, it's been very enlightening. And, and 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 I will continue to do that. Again, the only way people know that you uh, that you care about them is if they can look you in the eye and and uh, and they can and and you have to have the conversations with them uh, to hear what what they're concerned about and what uh, what's bothering them, what's good, what's bad. All those things. So I'm having those conversations, but uh, it makes for a long day. What have you, what have you learned so far? Well, um, uh, one thing is that uh, we've got to um, we've got to increase staffing, uh, and that is not not increase the the number of Capitol Police officer positions, but we just got to fill the ones we have. Let's start there, um, and then I think I can make um, you know a case for adding some staffing you know along the way. But we've got to make sure we're recruiting and hiring um, officers to stay ahead of attrition. You had a lot of people, um, uh, 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 let's say, a higher than normal number of officers retire uh, after the sixth. Um, you've had you've had a few that uh, just have decided that the job's not for them. Um, but I will tell you, we also just like um, if you remember after 9/11 um, that that the military and and public safety, both police and fire had a real spike in, uh, in recruitment. There are a lot of folks decide, I mean, I think it's just, you know, they saw when, when something like that happens, there's something, you know, that, that resonates with folks. And so we, we, there was a big hiring push because there were so many people interested in, uh, in public safety and in the military right after 9-11. We've seen, uh, for, with the U.S. Capitol Police, we've seen uh, uh, a, you know, a, a heightened interest in becoming a Capitol Police officer. So I, you know, in this day and age, and if you ask most police chiefs, they will tell you it's it's tough to recruit. I mean, you know the national narrative on policing today. Yeah, well, and, almost know, as bad as that on reporting, but yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, but but seriously, I mean, you know, I, I think to myself, who in the world wants to, be, you know, start to be a police officer today, you know? And, and but there are uh, men and women who I think saw what happened on the 6th and um, were, motivated to to join this police department i mean that's that's why i'm here um and so uh so we are we are uh, uh being able to recruit we need to make sure we're hiring the right people for the job that's always the challenge hiring the right people and but, what do you mean uh, what do you mean when you say right people well um not everybody's cut out to be a police officer you you know that um yes. uh, and, and it you know you want to make sure that the, the the traits that you're looking for that make a good police officer somebody that has has empathy, has compassion, has um, a spirit for public service, has, you know, it, it has the courage to do the job. All of those, you know, character traits that um, you, you, you believe would make a good police officer, you got to look for folks that have those character traits. And because a lot of people are drawn to be, you know, look, you get some people that just want to push people around, you know, and that's why they want to be a cop. They think, oh, I'll put a gun and a badge on and look, you know, I can be the, you know, I can just, you know, do whatever I want. And we're not going to hire those people. It's the people that really have a spirit for public service, really want to help people and uh, and have that. Um, You're talking you know, about the biggest fear most people have today after seeing some, you know, the uh, COVID trial and some of those other things that uh, police just want to come in and beat people up. And that's the big fear. So yeah. what do you tell those people? Uh, well, the, the people, that, the, the folks that have that fear. Yeah. Or, or the folks that, you know, are like that. I tell them, uh, no, thank you. You know, look, look for another job. We're not hiring. you. Um, and, and, you know, you, we, we get, we, uh, I think the, the psychological evaluations that we give applicants uh, has evolved and improved over the years. Uh, but it's still, still, again, not a perfect science. We're still recruiting from the human race. So the perfect police officer has not, you know, yet been made, but, um, but, we're, we're Certainly doing the better. perfect reporter hadn't been made, but right. well, you know, but again, we, uh, so, um, but we, we um, are, uh, I think we've evolved to a better system in terms of doing the kind of background, the kind of psychological evaluation um, that we're, we're doing better at getting 
the right people. So once you hire the right people, then you got to train them and you got to hold them accountable. And, you know, that those are my three biggest responsibilities, hire the right people, invest in their training throughout their career and hold people accountable to do their job the way it's supposed to be done. And that's the, that's the other concern. Uh, after the insurrection, there was speculation that some of the police officers in the Capitol Police Force were actually aiding and abetting the insurrectionists. How have you dealt with that? And what do you tell people who have that concern? So we had, um, we had a, a few, um, actually more than a few, just, but not, not large numbers, but um, we had some uh, complaints and some concerns about officers. All of them have been investigated. Um, in fact, most of them have been dealt with already. Um, and, but there's a few, in fact, I, I just happened to get a case came across my desk this past week um, where uh, it was an officer who had, had taken a picture with uh, some of the insurrectionists. And, and what you learn is that um, it's not always what people think it is. Um, and some of them are, uh, you know, if you got, uh, my, it's my understanding you had some officers that were, you know, wearing the MAGA hats and, you know, there was uh, an allegation that there were officers that were actually moving the, the bike racks so that people could, could get in, get closer to the Capitol. And those, those cases have been dealt with already. Um, How many of them were there and what was the adjudication? I, you know, I don't know the exact number, but I know it was, you know, it was, it was a few. I mean, um, and, but- A couple dozen of, or less or- Yeah, I, I mean, maybe a dozen or more, I, I, it, but not, I mean, it wasn't like it was a hundred. Uh, I mean, right. it was, it, you know- And how big so, is the force? It's 2,200, right? Somewhere around there? Uh, you know, um, around 2,000. Uh, somewhere, give or take. And how's uh, that compared to the, what you've run before? That's that's a pretty good size force. It is. I, I had uh, 1,300 in, in Montgomery County and 1,400 in Fairfax. So um, it's larger. Uh, yeah. So it's it's larger. And, and um, uh, but, you know, it's when you get to be, the, when you get that size, running that organization is, it, it's, it's like riding a bike, you know, you just, right, right. What needs to be done to, to run. <laughs> day to day more people in a in a smaller area to police you know and that's what's interesting brian is uh i you know before i uh learned more about the u.s capitol police i used to think gosh they got two thousand cops and they're just covering this small area well i think a lot of folks are not aware of the responsibilities that we actually have i mean much of our job is is dignitary protection um, and so, and then it's not just the Capitol building. I mean, you've got, um, you know, all of the, the house buildings, the Senate buildings, the library of Congress, um, all of those, um, that, that whole square, couple square mile area, um, belongs to the Capitol police. I mean, all the way to union station. And I mean, it's, it's a bigger area than you think. And when you not Montgomery County size, but yeah, no, no <laughs> but, but I didn't, I didn't have to put a, a, a you know, uh, a, a post, you know, I didn't have to put a post on every block, you know, to, right, uh, to, to, you know, check on visitors and, you know, people entering every door, you got to have, you know, security there. And, but again, there's, there's a tremendous amount of responsibilities that I wasn't aware of. Um, so here we are, you know, I got 2000 cops and I'm thinking, oh, I might need more. And then, you know, as, as you've probably read there, uh, we're opening up field offices across the I country. Saw that. Tell me about and, that. Why? Well, it, it's just, it's just uh, right now we're looking at Tampa and San Francisco, and there's probably going to be more in the future. But it's just that, um, you know, we're responsible for the safety and security of all the members of Congress, whether they're at the Capitol, but we also have uh, some responsibility in terms of their district offices when they travel, you know, all those kinds of things. So having folks, um, not everybody in Washington, D.C., having folks, you know, at different places around the country will make things a little more efficient. It also helps us coordinate better with local law enforcement, which a lot of our work, uh, we do coordinate with the, with the local cops right. around, the, uh, around the country. So um, it's just uh, an efficiency thing. And, and um, I, you know, I'm still wrapping my head around some of the, you know, uh, everything that goes on there. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's- So why it's, Tampa and San Francisco first? I, well, that I can't tell you. Uh, um, other, <laughs> other than um, I know that we get we get a lot of complaints from around the country, and Florida and California, um, you know, are 
places where we get um, a lot of a lot of complaints, a lot of um, intelligence. And when I say complaints, I'm talking about um, you know threats uh, originate from from these areas. Wow. Now going back to I, I'd kind of skittered past what we were talking about about those that may be involved. So going forward, when you when you take a look at your officers and the insurrection, you've you've dealt with the ones that have that were involved with how are you going to deal with it going forward to make sure that they're i mean because that hat would have to be to me if you're running an organization and your police don't protect one another that would have to be one of the biggest things i would be concerned about as a as a police chief there's no question about that and a lot of this is training uh, or some of it uh, some big part of it's training you know just reminding people you know that when you take this oath of office to defend the constitution you're not, it's not your interpretation of the constitution that, you know, this, we have a mission to protect the Capitol, protect the members of Congress, protect the legislative process. And, um, and, and just because, you know, whatever personal feelings you have about those things doesn't matter. You have a job to do. I mean, you're allowed to, you know, you know, like one person more than another, you can vote for anybody you want, all that sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is, you have a job to do and, and, and a, a, um, an oath to uphold and, um, you know, making sure that they understand that um, is, uh, we're going to focus a little bit more on that um, as, as, you know, moving forward. So that, uh, because, you know, one of the most dangerous things, and, and I know you know this, Brian, is so many of these people that came to the Capitol and were, and were rioting and, and breaking the law and assaulting police officers and, and damaging property, so many of them, if you'd ask them, you know, are, you know, what are you doing? They just said, oh, I'm, I'm upholding the Constitution. They, they really thought they were doing some, what they were doing was right. They and told they, me as much. You're correct. Yeah. And, and this is the, the um, I think, what really makes them, you know, that kind of situation really dangerous when you've got folks that, you know, that believe what they're doing is right. Um, and, uh, but again, uh, there, we have this, we are a country of laws and, um, and our, my, my cops um, will, will know what the, our mission is and they need to uphold the mission. And again, I think if, if, um, if we, if we were better prepared, you know, had the staffing in place, um, I think most of the, the, um, issues that that sprung up within you know as far as the police department's performance goes uh would not have been a mission this was more the fact that there weren't enough people and they didn't have the equipment they needed and just were um you know not uh, as prepared as they as we could have been and so um we'll we'll be better next time that's for sure hopefully there is no next time but i hopefully. i I have no doubt that I, I tell you, it makes me feel comfortable that you're there because I, I know how you handle stuff here. And, and honestly, I, I say that to you without any reservation. I, I feel a lot more comfortable with you in that position. And thank you for doing it. <laughs> um, going, but the question I guess remains, what if members of our own government try to subvert the process and tell the police, hey, look, sit back, let this happen. It's for the best. Is there, was there any indication that that happened on January 6th? And what would you do if you were faced with that? Well, I can, uh, um, I, you know, I, I, one of the lessons that, uh, that folks, uh, police, police chiefs certainly learn is that, um, that when you, every, we all have a boss. And if your boss tells you, I want you to do this, um, you know, the old saying is, if it's not immoral, unethical, or illegal, that you know, you got to do it, or you can say, no, I'm not doing it. And then you take those consequences. So um, I certainly, you know, uh, I, I'm sworn to uphold the law. I, I took an oath to, to um, defend the constitution. And I, there's, I, I don't, I don't, I would not anticipate anyone um, uh, telling the U.S. Capitol Police that we can't do our job uh, to the best of our ability. And I, I, I just don't believe that that would happen. And, and the Capitol Police Board, again, architect of the Capitol, the uh, Sergeant Arms of the House and the Senate, uh, the Capitol Police Chief, we make up the board. And I can tell you the folks that I'm working with are really good. And um, I just don't think anything like that could ever happen. And, and, and look, do you, I, do you think that it happened on January 6th? 
you know, look, it, it's um, there's a lot of folks that uh, I think believe that they were doing right because of of you know what people said and and uh, you know that the, the speeches that were going and who knows how that motivated them were they were they intending to do that stuff in the first place uh, you know even before um, and it you know all that doesn't matter it doesn't matter to me what the what the ideology of these people were they could be they could be far left far right they they could just have some crazy ideology that you know we're going to overthrow the government you know for, for and it's just you know that's that's what i'm concerned about when you have people breaking the law um we we have to uh, we have to protect the the, uh, the capital protect the members of congress um protect the folks that are there uh and um and i've i've got to make sure that the cops have the training the equipment the resources everything to be able to do their job because i will tell you what they bring to the equation is courage and dedication and they'll they they will they will they fought like hell they absolutely fought like hell that day they uh you you saw that in the testimony you saw it in the videotape i saw it firsthand i saw you know insurrectionists putting a gallows out and wanting to you know hang mike pence our vice president at the time and to the credit as you said they did prevail but it was pretty touch and go there for a while i mean it was I mean, I saw them beating, uh, I saw them beating reporters. I saw them beating uh, police. I saw them drag people out. I saw that mob mentality. And, you know, I've covered wars and I felt safer in the Gulf War than I felt that day at the Capitol. So I can't imagine what it was like to be a police officer on the front lines fighting. As they said, I remember the testimony, you know, you were outnumbered 50 to one. And so those people that were there were fighting, the cops were fighting, you know, without respite, without the ability to circulate out of the front line, while the insurrectionists, if somebody got tired, somebody else would come in and, and push them back. I, so it's, it's amazing that more that, you know, it's amazing that all members of Congress were, you know, safe and you all kept them safe. And it was amazing that we were able to, to keep it from, you know, becoming worse. I guess the question out of all of that is, is, um, if you've got the training, if you've got the material, if you've got the right people, what is there? Is there something you look for that you you know that's the unknown factor that you have to have in a situation like that? What else do you look for? It's it's just um, uh, making sure that you you are you have the best intelligence to know what might happen um, and prepare your prepare in terms of your tactics, prepare in terms of your staffing, uh, making sure you have enough people, making sure your tactics are such that um, you, you're going to be able to um, control, uh, you know, control the crowd. And, um, you know, there, you know, this whole notion about um, the National Guard and the delay, you know, all of those yeah. things contributed to this. And we, but those are things that um, we'll make sure uh, work more efficiently and, uh, you know, in the future. Well, you talked about Chief Ramsey and what he pioneered. Is that something you would uh, do as well? Call on neighboring uh, jurisdictions to help you out in a situation like that? Oh, absolutely. Um, and this is, um, you know, I mean, I've, uh, most of the police chiefs in the, in the Washington DC region um, are friends of mine and um, absolutely uh, uh, that this will be, uh, there'll be a very, very um, quick, um, and an efficient plan in place uh, should, you know, should we need help, should something pop up that we're not expecting, um, we're, we're going to have, uh, we'll, we'll have uh, things in place so that we can get the help we need pretty quickly. Should you need that help, um, there was, can you pull that trigger yourself or do you have to have someone else above you do it? So um, this is where one of the recommendations that, uh, uh, that came out of uh, several of the reports is that you know? Should the Capitol Police chief have that authority, or you know, does it have to come from the the, the entire Capitol Police Board, or you know, Sergeant at Arms, or whatever? So this is we're we're talking about this now, and uh, I think everybody realizes we need we need to have uh, the ability to react quickly and and get things started quickly, and so uh, I think we'll we'll come to a uh, a decision collectively that will be uh, allow for, for more efficiencies than we had before. Well, when you talk about more efficiency, how it, it, it's, 
I mean, you can't be any more efficient than having one man be able to, to pull that and just make that decision, right? And, and again, I mean, you know, this is, the, this is the exact discussion that's ongoing right now. What's your thoughts? You know, I, I want, um, uh, look, I've had uh, in the past, um, if, if, I were to wanna, if I wanted to call it the National Guard when I was chief of police in Montgomery County, I didn't have the authority to do it, but um, it was a very uh, quick process to get that in, in place. Um, and so, uh, I, so I, look, it does, I, we, can work, we can work quickly um, and still involve you know, more than one person. But if, if, if folks wanna say, look, in, 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 if these are the circumstances, you know, given these set of circumstances, you know, the police chief can do this, you know, I'm fine with all that. I've, you know, I, I, I think that I understand uh, how to be judicious in making those kinds of decisions. Um, but again, this is, a, this is a collective discussion. And that, of course, is the flip side of it. You don't want someone who would be injudicious being able to have control of it. So I, I get that. But the, the point that you're making that um, is, is really important is the trust, you know, to say, listen, I'm the police chief. I'm on the ground. I know that someone that we all discuss this, but we need to make this call now. I'm, you know, I'm not in it. And if they trust you and you're not an injudicious man, then, then it, it makes it a lot easier to make that call. The, so I understand that's a tightrope to walk. If you, you don't want it to be a drawn out affair that, you know, so you don't get the help. And then you don't want people to uh, jump to the conclusion that you're a, a martinet and, you know, just calling troops out whenever you want them. I, I get that. Uh, but making it more, uh, making it quicker, I guess, would be advantageous after what happened on the 6th. Well, and, and everybody, I think everybody that I've spoken with feels that way. So I think we're going to make whatever we ultimately decide to do, that's going to be the result. And when will all these, right, well, last question before the break, uh, you talk about a list of recommendations. Have you implemented some of them? Are there more to be considered? Tell me a little bit about that. So we, uh, uh, Chief Pittman and her, her folks before I was hired um, implemented a number of them. Um, there are with this new supplemental uh, uh, supplemental that we uh, that Congress approved, uh, which is going to give um, uh, you know millions of dollars to the U.S. Capitol Police Department. That's going to allow us to do another whole group of the recommendations, and then other ones we're probably going to have to work into our next fiscal year, um, and and you know see what we can get in our budget uh, for. Uh, you know, to, to accomplish the rest of the uh, recommendations. And, so and what are they? Well, it, they, they, mo a lot of them have to do with staffing, you know, do we, right. do, do we add more police officers? Do we add more um, intelligence analysts? Um, you know, do we, uh, you know, just, just how do we uh, make the, the department more efficient? Some of them have to do with equipment. Um, you know, what, what don't we have that we need? What is it that, that what what is it that on your wish list that you'd like to have that you don't? Well, the first thing is the is enough helmets and vests and gas masks and that sort of thing so that we can increase the number of CDU at civil disturbance units, um, you know, so that uh, you know if we got you know five thousand protesters coming, we can put you know uh, you know enough officers out there to deal with that size crowd and and also protect the the capital so um but we, you know everybody has to have the equipment the shield the helmets all that stuff not nothing exotic like a tank or missiles right i'm not asking for tank or missiles no <laughs> because you're going to get asked that so i figured i'd ask and get it out of the way so uh we're going to take a short break we'll be right back Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. Again, that's at J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and I've learned to pronounce my own name by now. So it's good to have with us the Capitol Police Chief, Tom Manger, and Tom's going over some of the stuff that uh, will change with the Capitol Police going forward. Tell me a little bit about what, you know, in this last segment, tell me a little bit about what you like about what you see. 
Well, I am so impressed with uh, the men and women that I've uh, gotten to know over the past week. Um, be they, you know, leadership positions, the first line supervisors, the command staff, and the cops that are, uh, you know, staffing the posts, the, um, the uh, investigators and, and um, folks that are in the dignitary protection side of the house. Um, just, um, I have not yet run across a person that I, you know, didn't think, boy, that, you know, glad that they're on this team. They're glad they're part of this department. Um, you know, one of the things, Brian, that um, there, there are a lot of folks that I think never thought about or never, never even, you know, were aware of the U.S. Capitol Police or what they did um, before January 6th. And unfortunately, there's, there's too many folks now that are defining this department by January 6th. They're defining them on, you know, with, you know in the context of one day. And I, I don't know who among us wants to be judged by the worst, you know, the worst day of our life. And um, you know, and, and the fact of the matter is that this was a very good department before January sixth, and it's a very good department now. Yes, there were there were things that that um, didn't go as well as they should. People, you, you know, you talk. People are talking about oh, there's failures here, failures there. Um, and again, uh, you know, the, there were if if we had it to do over again. You know, I think that that many of the folks in leadership positions would say, "Well, we'd have done things different. We'd have done, you know, A, B, C," and that's great. Um, I'm glad to hear that. But the fact of the matter is that on January, I think January 8th, when uh, Chief Pittman was um, put in the as the acting chief, she started day one um, trying to, you know, look at those recommendations, implement them, get get the department, um, you know, better better situated to deal with things in the future. And, and, and I'll just say this as well. You know, for, for many people, they will, January 6th will, will continue to define the U.S. Capitol Police, uh, Capitol Police Department in their minds. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, it, it may be a situation where we have to get tested again, where there's another big protest and people will, you know, will see how does the, how the U.S. Capitol Police handle that one. Um, we may have to be tested again before folks really think, oh, okay, well, I guess, you know, I guess they are ready. I guess they are, you know, prepared. I, I guess I'll, I'll push back on a couple, of, and, and, I, and I welcome your response. First of all, I, protests are one thing, riots are another. And secondly, um, as has been pointed out, as was pointed out when the officers testified, as you pointed out earlier in this program, I don't know if it was the worst day of the Capitol Police because they did prevail. It was ugly. It was vicious. It was un-American, but that wasn't because of the Capitol Police. That was because of the insurrectionists. Well, I, I look, I agree. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that many of the, the men and women who fought so bravely, so valiantly, um, and anybody who's part of the Capitol Police, I mean, they, they wish things would have been been different that day. And what I'm hoping is that um, myself, my leadership team can ensure that the next time they're tested like this, that they have the resources they need, they have everything they need um, so that they can prevail without, you know, getting dozens of officers injured, you know, people killed. Um, so it's, you know, yeah. um, so we're, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Well, and, you know, like you said, you were watching it. Um, I watched some of it on TV when I got back from it, you know, watched it into the evening, but was there in the morning and in the afternoon for some of it. Um, to me, it was, and I guess I want to ask you what your sense of it was, and, and I'll tell you what mine was. It was, I never thought I'd see something like that in the United States. And I saw them breaking windows of the Capitol and the Confederate flag being uh, you know, walk through our capital. And I thought it was just a very sad day for our country. Um, and I guess a lot of people want to know how you feel about that as, as, as the police chief and what your thoughts are. So I, I felt the same way. I, I would have never believed that something like this would happen in our country. Um, I just, um, I know that this, this country is divided on so many issues. And, and I understand that. But We've always been, um, I think, you know, we've always been able to respect, you know, 
in, in the big scheme of things, be able to respect differences and, and, you know, sort of everybody leads their life, you know, um, knowing that there's different points of view on a lot of things. But to see this, uh, this kind of attack on democracy, um, and again, it doesn't, I, I don't care what their ideology is, because they're, they're you know, they're, there's plenty of other uh, ideologies that would, you know, that could, you know, result in, in, in uh, you know, this kind of protest and this kind right. of conflict. Um, but I would, I never would have believed that um, we would have a situation like that. Um, it's just, it was incredible to me. And, and, and not only, I, I mean, just the range of emotions that day for, I think for many people uh, range from sadness, anger, um, just, uh, and just, uh, just, it was incredible. I mean, you just couldn't believe what you were seeing. Is that why you decided to come back and, and leave the good life of retirement? Hey, you know, that's exactly why. Um, I, I, Brian, I, I was very, if you'd asked me on January 5th, how's life, how's life, how you doing? You missed being a police chief. I'd have said, you know, I'm, I'm doing consulting work. I'm still keeping my hand in the profession a little bit, trying to guide it and where I think it should be, you know, in the direction it should go. Um, you know, doing a lot of uh, uh, just really, you know, but enjoying being retired. Not, I did not miss the 24 seven stress of, of being a police chief, but on January 6th, I was watching this and I thought to myself, I wish I wasn't retired. I, I, I did not want to be retired. I wanted to be there because I thought that with the experience that I have, with the relationships that I have in this, in the DC region that I could help. And that's the reason that I um, decided to, uh, you know, throw my hat in the ring for this job. Well, I, I, the, the, I go back to a story. Um, you and I used to, meet at a little coffee shop every once in a while when I was running, you know, the local paper and we would talk about stuff and it was helpful for, for an executive editor of a newspaper to actually sit down and talk with you. And I remember something that you told me, I don't know if you remember it, but you were at a, a pro, uh, what was it a celebrity golf tournament? You remember this story? Uh, I, I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you said uh, to the, you know, uh, I guess it was to one of the Redskins, one of the uh, football players, you know, Hey, I know who the celebrity is here. After I hang up my hat, nobody will know who I am. <laughs> so, uh, but we do now. You did. You, you came back. So, is there any of that um, the the public aspect of your job that concerns you, or are you comfortable with it? No, I'm 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 comfortable with it. I mean, I, I've done it for a long time. This is, in some ways, this is a little higher profile job um, on the national scale, but. Um, but look, as, as my daughter, when she was about, I don't know, six years old, we were at a restaurant once and um, a couple of people came up while you know, I was there with my wife, my two children, and my daughter's younger. And, and um, she, uh, a couple of people came up and said hi to me and you know, just chatted with me a little bit because they recognized me as the police chief. And um, when, when, you know, after it happened a second time, my daughter looks at me and she says, Daddy, are, are you famous? And, um, and I said, well, I don't think so. And um, my son, who was eight years old at the time, looked at her and said, he's famous in Montgomery County. So I thought that would have summed it up. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to put your, as a smart kid. <laughs> he's still a smart kid. So uh, yeah, they're older now. Um, uh, and I guess we'll, we'll close with this. What I think about this often too. I, I have, you know, my first grandchild and, and I've raised three kids here in Montgomery County. And what, what do you want them? What do you think you want to pass on to them to let them know about you, your job and what you're doing now? So, um, my, I mean, my kids have both grown up, um, only knowing me as a police chief. I mean, um, and, they, um, I was police chief when they were born. And so um, they, uh, they're used to it. They, they just sort of take it in stride. Um, you know, they see me on TV or they see, you know, see my picture in the paper and they just sort of shrug, they don't care. Um, but I, but I, I hope that, um, that they get the same thing from me that I got from my dad. Um, my dad um, was, uh, he, he never finished high school. 
and um, but just was the hardest working man I, I've ever known, and um, and and made a good life for uh, you know uh, for my mom and you know and his you know his four kids and um, and and I just I grew up being in awe of his work ethic and uh, just what a good man he was in every way, and so I'm hoping that something that I'm doing um, is is uh, rubbing off on my kids. Um, so that they maybe that they they understand that you know just an honest day's work um, just you know conducting yourself with um, you know some amount of of uh, integrity and and um, just you know working hard and, and serving the public uh, that there's something there's something honorable about that and uh, and I, I look I, I'm not sitting here bragging but uh, you know this this is I guess what I'm hopeful that they they sort of pick up from, from me and look, they got a great role model in their mother as well. I mean, you know, she, she's a, uh, teaches at university of Maryland and, you know, she's, and so I think I, I often tell my wife, I said, you know, why are these kids, you know, giving us so much trouble? Haven't we modeled good behavior for them? And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, so yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they're picking up something. Welcome, welcome to the life of parenting. <laughs> yes, yes. You only have two, right? That's yes. Yep. So you're, you can still, you can, you can, you know, you can still run man-to-man defense. When it goes to three, it's, it's, it's zone defense and something falls through the cracks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's why when we, when we, uh, when we got the, the complete set, you know, one of each where we were, we were satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Last question I'll ask you before we, before we end this is there are a lot of people that are very pessimistic about uh, the United States these days. You hopeful, pessimistic, sanguine. What's your thoughts? Um, I, I am. Uh, I try to be a glass half full kind of person. I am optimistic. I think this is with all of our faults, and we have plenty of them. Um, we have plenty of faults, and this country is not as good as it could be or should be in so many ways. And um, uh, but I am hopeful that because I think we can, we're better today than we were 50 years ago and we're better, you know, we were better 50 years ago than we were 100 years ago. So my hope is that we continue to progress as a nation where um, everybody has the same opportunity that we, you know, everybody, no one's judged by their, by anything other than, uh, you know, who they are and, and what's inside. And uh, so I'm, I'm optimistic that, um, you know, we're going to prevail. We're going to be okay. I I am too. I here's, but I often hear, well, we're two old uh, heterosexual white guys talking about it. And so, you know, there are people who don't subscribe. There are people who um, don't subscribe to the optimism because they feel that racism, sexism, and the dangers of this, of this country have increased and that the police and, and my profession reporting are part of the problems. How do you how do you deal with those who say, look, we're more racist or so, more sexist? Well, I think I think we just um, I don't think we are more racist. I think we're we are uh, we just talk about it because we're finally having the conversations that we should have about it. Yep. What I what what bothers me the most is the hopelessness that you find, you know, that's associated with this generational poverty in, in you know, in many areas of our country. And, you know, a lot of the folks that, you know, that would say, well, I think this, you know, this country's not, not good. It's never been good for me. And, I, and they don't see it getting better. That is, that's, the, that's connected to that hopelessness that um, so many uh, folks in our country have that um, because they, they have not had the, uh, the opportunities and, you know, and, 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 this gen- and it's a generational issue where people didn't have the education, the opportunities the, you know, to, to um, have the same advantages that uh, that other folks have had. So, uh, but so, but again, we're having those conversations now, and that's why I think things will improve. Um, I, there, there's plenty of people that have every right to say this country has not treated me well. I, I get that, but I, I think the fact that we're having those conversations and more and more people understand that um, it bodes well for our future. And you get to preside in the police department that looks over all of those people who make those decisions. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> Tom, thanks for joining us. I enjoyed having you. I hope you come back again. Thank you. 
All right. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Hey there, JATQ listeners. We deeply appreciate your listenership and the audience we've been able to cultivate while producing this podcast. Thanks to all of your support, we've been able to ramp things up and create even more content for you to enjoy. Through our Patreon page, there are lots of new and exciting things to check out. Due to the way Patreon is set up, it's entirely up to you, the listener, to decide what that content is worth. The podcast episodes will always be free, but if you want to gain access to our weekly newsletter, ad-free episodes, exclusive merch, and much, much more, you'll want to head over to patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon.com slash podcast. Thanks. Have a great day.